New Books in Economics, brought to you by EAEPE, the European Association for Evolutionary Political Economy. Welcome to this new episode of New Books in Economics. I'm your host, Andrea Bernardi. New Books in Economics, brought to you by EAEPE, the European Association for Evolutionary Political Economy. Welcome to this new episode of New Books in Economics. I'm your host, Andrea Bernardi, from Oxford Brookes University, and today I'm here with two colleagues of mine to present their new book. The book is titled The, the Microeconomics of Complex Economies, and I have here three, two of the three authors, and it is uh, Professor Wolfram Helsner and Dr. Thorsten Heinrich. Um, they will tell us now something about themselves, but also about the third author, which is not with us today. Uh, Wolfram, can you tell us about your current affiliation and your background? Yeah, well, I uh, am in, in institutional and evolutionary economics since, well, far in, from the last century, from the 1980s onwards, early 1980s. I, I, and I, I got member, incidentally, in the beginning uh, of the American Evolutionary Economics Association, Association for Evolutionary Economics. So I uh, got raised up scientifically uh, and educated in, in good old American institutionalism, which I was always um, uh, dissatisfied with because it was uh, exclusively verbal uh, at that time. And I decided for myself um, to do something on that and uh, try to operationalize and formalize uh, and make it more empirically accessible. Uh, and that was more or less my work over the decades. Uh, Henning, uh, Thorsten and Henning uh, have been uh, assistants of mine, post, uh, first uh, PhD students and later postdocs, and they are now spread over the world. Um, uh, Thorsten is in Oxford at INET Institute, but I you, can, do you can do that to yourself. Uh, and, uh, and, and, Henning, uh, and Henning is, is assistant professor in, at Denver University right now. So Thorsten, I'm correct, you are a mathematician mm-hmm. because you are in Oxford. No, I'm not. But you're in the department of mathematics. My training is actually completely in economics, just okay. like um, the training of Welcome and Henning. So we are, we, we are economists. I studied originally in uh, Dresden, in East Germany, and in Madrid, in Spain. <coughs> I did my PhD with Wolfram's working group in Bremen, which is also when we got started on the on the book. Um, we finished the book then, at the time I was already postdoc. Uh, <coughs> since leaving Bremen, um, I came to Oxford, and I'm now a part of the... Uh, of the Complexity Working Group of the Institute for New Economic Thinking at the University of Oxford. Well, so um, methodologically, my background is, though it is economics, I'm, I'm, I'm working a little bit on formal economics, on computational economics, on mostly on agent-based modeling. Um, more generally, perhaps on complexity economics. Yeah, that was <coughs> our common, our common uh, field then, increasingly. That's why the the title of, of this book. Let's go to, to the title then, The Microeconomics of Complex Economies. Let, let's define uh, 
uh, why complex is a key issue in this book and what's the role of complexity in distinguishing heterodoxy and orthodoxy in economics? Well, we increasingly came uh, to model stepwise um, uh, what is going on here. Um, so, for instance, I worked some years on uh, questions of emergence of institutions. How do they really emerge? And we quickly came, I quickly came and later on my uh, my co-authors uh, joined um, to use uh, the game theoretic approach. And then uh, you may stick to the conventional static game theoretic solutions, but what, that was not satisfying. Uh, in the long run, and the question was, how can we uh, mutually approach uh, in evolutionary institutional economics and more formal approaches? And that was why we all ended up in complexity economics, uh, stepwise increasingly. Because when you consider population, when you consider um, um, uh, institutional emergence, when you consider changing social ecologies, then you are very quickly stepwise in defining required uh, uh, individual agency capacities. You are uh, stepwise uh, to say goodbye to a perfect rationality and all that. So that happened in an evolutionary process of our own work, indeed. Perhaps if I could get back to the question a little bit. <clears throat> um, so complexity economics is distinguished from, let's say, traditional economics in that it perceives the economy as an evolving, self-organizing complex system, <clears throat> which basically also means that traditional methods to model it, like general equilibrium models that are typically used in microeconomics, are not necessarily the best way to do that. And that you kind of have to take the systemic level into account that you have to model explicitly the interactions between agents, that you have to, well, take the complexity of the system into account. There are by now, uh, well, uh, there, there is a large quantity of methods um, that have been de developed over recent decades that was probably very different when general equi equilibrium theory was originally developed. So um, it's not the case that this has been around since the 1890s, but still, It has been developed over the recent de decades and with modern com computer technology, with um, increasing computation power, and also with the development of those models, those methods, sorry. Um, it has become feasible mm -hmm. to actually do that and to also include that in teaching so that people take that perspective into account. Which yeah, is, that, that is the funny thing. Uh, look, this is, a, in the end, a very radical new approach to microeconomics. And microeconomics has to be taken by virtually everyone who studies uh, business or, or economics, and many other social scientists as well. Physicists sometimes come into our classes. Um, we did not, in the beginning, we did not change very much. We changed just the assumption we took it from the real world that, in fact, outside there, there is direct interdependence among us, okay? Take that serious, you come into the direct interactions, and when you unfold that and develop it seriously, then you end up in full-fledged evolutionary modeling, uh, and evolutionary modeling, in the last instance, 
can not be computed uh, deterministically, but, you know, needs to take all these cutting-edge methods that we uh, luckily uh, uh, control now, have available now. But let me start uh, saying that this is a textbook, so this is for students, uh, although it comes from your research, of course, uh, and you have uh, some space in the introduction where you clearly explain how this can be used. For example, you say this can be used for undergraduate, for graduate, and for postgraduate studies. Mm. Uh, you even say that this is not only for students of microeconomics, in fact, this is also good for students of game theory, industrial economics, organization, mm. mathematical complexity economics, behavioral economics. And you have a plan of uh, the use of uh, this textbook for different programs. And you also have a map that puts into, uh, that connects all the sections and explain the connection between each chapter. So let's go now to the actual use of this textbook for students. Um, Why uh, just to, to mention that the, these kind of roadmaps are a cutting edge uh, state of the art for, for the big uh, uh, textbooks now. So uh, as we have a, a prime top publishing house in the background, Elsevier and Academic Press, of course, uh, they and we immediately agreed that we, that we develop a real, uh, particularly because it is new and radically new, Uh, a roadmap uh, for uh, for its use. It is very well is done. Not so obvious. Huh? Yeah. It is very good, very well done. And also, there is a page that explains uh, the positioning of this book uh, compared to uh, other attempts to to approach microeconomics as you are doing. But still, uh, it is clear that this is a very original, a very original approach. But from the point of view of students, how this is going to train them as economists in a different way. Well, that, it, is, that, yeah. is, okay. yep. that is our intention. So um, from personal experience, we know that a lot of economists, even more mainstream economists, are by now aware that uh, different appro approaches exist, that complexity approaches exist, that evolutionary approaches exist, that institutional approaches exist. In their research, they are also very open to that. They, they do include that in their, in their research. What they don't do is include it in their teaching. And that is a problem. It basically uh, leads to a situation where every single economist is trained to think in exactly the same way about the economy, which defaults to well, general equilibrium theories. Most economies are been, uh, sorry, most most economists are by now aware that this is not entirely realistic, but um, they always keep it in mind and have it in, in mind as a benchmark. And in the long run, that is perhaps not the way that we want to train economists. That is perhaps not the way that, that we want economists to think about the economy. Um, <clears throat> the reason why uh, teaching, teaching in economics still works that way is mostly because we simply do not have any teaching materials that uh, take a different approach. And that was our motivation to develop a textbook that is radically different And that is not just a complement to other textbooks, like you, you, learn, you learn general equilibrium theory now, and now we are going to show you something different mm -hmm. that you could use alternatively, but actually as a textbook that can also be used as, as an introductory textbook for undergrads um, that hear about economics for the very first time. 
Look, I have worked myself 10 years outside academia in local and regional and state level uh, economic development. So I was in the 80s, I was active in, in, in regional networking with, with companies and all that. Yes, so, you call it the real world of your life. Yes, the real world part of, of, of my life. And I would never want to miss these 10 years of, of, real, uh, of real experience. Um, and that led me to, uh, to have a real world textbook started. If you look at it, and look at the very advanced uh, uh, methodological parts and chapters of it, you would not think that that it has this real-world starting point here, huh? where we go from uh, firm clusters, we go into, into network technologies, we go into coordination problems uh, between firms, uh, real-world coordination problems between firms, etc. Because, I mean, I spoke for 10 years every day with entrepreneurs. I know what they think and what they think about the market, you know, what the market can, and they were very aware, very well aware what the market can not do. So um, if you start reading it in the first chapters, you see the whole real world coming in. And then we stepwise abstract and, and do modeling. Um, and that is the, the thing uh, why, for instance, funnily with this textbook, um, in our department, very early, The, the business studies uh, professors came up to me uh, and said, first, you have to do the microeconomics. Second, you have to do for us the theory of the firm. And I told them, I, you know what kind of theory of the firm I will do. Uh, it's it's, it's non-mainstreamy. And they said, exactly, this is what we want. Okay, so we have a, um, an approval of its practicability and real-world uh, relation from, from those parts of our discipline that are considered most close to the real world. And in fact, we started with this material uh, for 12 years. I'm teaching, oh no, nearly 15 years I've been teaching uh, microeconomics. We started off in the second semester. So first, first year uh, stuff in the first uh, five, six um, in the first six chapters, um, and the uh, the business studies uh, programs at our university immediately took it over and requested from business studies students in their third semester to add on top on that complexity microeconomics to add another evolutionary institutional economics, which was of course more demanding. And uh, particularly, the business studies uh, students did not like it. <laughs> Well, this is uh, impressive. Uh, actually, I was also, uh, I found very interesting the quotation of Franco Modigliani at the beginning of your introduction. And this quotation is about chaos, and he complains that economists are responsible somehow of chaos. Well, it was a joke, but... Yes. Uh, so what's the role of chaos, and is chaos a social sciences co um, concept, or is it a mathematics and physics concept? And what's the role of chaos in this book? Uh, well... So, if you look into complexity theory, then um, you basically have a continuum between um, simple converging deterministics on the one hand and chaotic deterministics on the other hand. Um, they are both uh, typically formulated in terms of mathematical equations. So, they are, they are both actually deterministic. Um, But if you would disturb those systems, and a converging de deterministic is still predictable, 
because it will basically fall back into um, the basin of attraction where it has been before. A chaotic de deterministic is not predictable anymore if you cannot predict the size of the shock. So basically, two different development paths that start very close to one another, but a little bit dis different from, from one another, um, have will have a very different development. That is the definition of chaos, basically. <clears throat> um, what we see in the real world is that the real world is some, somewhere in between. So we have aspects that are converging. So um, there, there is actually stuff that we can predict, otherwise there wouldn't be any point in doing economics or social science. But there, there is also stuff that is path-dependent, where different development paths uh, can lead to very different outcomes depending on the exact nuances of how they start, um, which means we are basically somewhere in between um, uh, a system that, that would be modeled by chaos, that would be characterized as, as chaos, <clears throat> and the converging system, which is, uh, so in total, this area is, is also called the, the area of complexity. Um, yeah. Which relates to, um, to the reviews that this book has received already. Uh, we have received uh, a, a number of quite nice uh, reviews already. One, I remember, was uh, last year in the Journal of Economic Methodology, And the reviewers usually said, well, in large parts, this book uh, might even work as a research monograph, uh, not a textbook, which is true for, say, two to three chapters uh, that was Dorsten talking about just. You know. We have a, a chapter where we, where we stepwise build up uh, increasing complexity and introduce all these uh, uh, conceptions like path dependence, non-ergodicity, uh, chaos, etc., attractors, and all that. Um, that you can use, of course, in, in research uh, seminars as well, on a PhD level. But generally, this is an intermediate textbook. You can use, as said, the first uh, five, six chapters uh, undergraduate. You can use all the others at master level, intermediate level, and you pick perhaps two of the chapters exclusively for PhD levels. So it's a, it's a multifunctional textbook and can be used at, at all levels. Perhaps we, should, sorry, perhaps we should talk um, a little bit first about the uh, organization of the textbook. So ah, yes. um, you, you, are, you are already kind of mentioned it. We have organized the textbook the, the in, in parts. Yeah, great. Um, where the first part is just introducing the basics. And the first part is actually also designed to be used by under, well, For, for undergraduate teaching as, um, well, introduct, introductory even stuff first for, year. for economics, even first year. <clears throat> um, well, so beyond that, of course, at some point we need to, we need to introduce the methods that, that, that we use in complexity economics. Um, and that can, in part, be pretty advanced stuff and... Uh, that is then introduced in the in the second part. <clears throat> um, so while the first part is uh, introductory, the second part would then be perhaps on intermediate or uh, even advanced level. The remaining three parts uh, basically uh, am I actually right? No, actually um, the second and third part um, develop the the more advanced concepts. The remaining two parts, then part uh, part four and part five, are 
uh, dedicated to studying the historical development of that, um, making some points about the, the history of thought, and um, finally applications, yeah. which are then in part uh, again accessible um, on an introductory level. So that is basically the, the general structure of the textbook. And of course, you have to keep in mind that um, at the time when we when we were designing the textbook, there were simply no other textbooks on um, complexity economics. I think um, in the meantime, there are a couple of projects that I heard about. I haven't seen any other textbooks, but I, I hope that we will that we will get to see um, some more competition and some uh, a field that is that is developing further in the in the in the next couple of years. But let me just say <clears throat> that um, because of that, we had to think pretty carefully about how to organize the, the textbook so that um, that it actually makes sense and that it is um, of use to the uh, greatest variety of people possible, which then, of course, leads to a structure that is, well, pretty diverse in, in, in terms of uh, one part being on the, on the introductory level, while other parts uh, are maybe dedicated to, to, to a different level. Mm. Uh, let me let me return to your mentioning uh, of Modigliani. Um, of course, one of the last reasons or occasions uh, for us uh, to do that, and that I refer to in the in the preface very intensely, and in the in the, the preliminaries of that textbook was, of course, the experience of uh, the financial crisis uh, and the, the shocking fact that the mainstream just did not see it coming, as the British Queen uh, has, has formulated. Um, and, of course, here the, was the last... The last reason for me to, to do something like that, I had a contract with Elgar, by the way, with Edward Elgar. Uh, personally, I talked with him since 1999. <laughs> I couldn't work it out. It was originally thought to be a mesoeconomic uh, a book, so something about regions, industries, clusters, networks, and all that stuff. Um, it turned out uh, that this was, uh, according to my taste, uh, far too much applied. And so I, the, the contract laid there and laid there. And, and after the financial crisis, I came up to, to Edward himself and, and said, uh, what do you think of it? And he said, well, um, that's all very risky for me. I'm not a textbook publisher. Um, uh, why not you, you give me a, a proposal of a 250 pages book? And um, I did that. And at that time, Torsten uh, joined my group uh, and Henning too. Uh, and we started working on that. And uh, the first little textbook that was out was called Microeconomics of Interactive Economies. Uh, and it appeared at Edward Elgar in 2012. Um, I was the sole author then, uh, although the guys had already uh, worked with it. Um, Elgar took that. Um, it was not, it was a kind of more uh, uh, conservative selection of, uh, of chapters. So we did not go too much into complexity, not go too much into 
into um, uh, implications and applications like we have, you know, applications of complexity micro into innovation, into the theory of the firm, into policies and all that what we have now in the last chapters. Um, this was a nice uh, little textbook and encouraged through that, uh, we said we have to go a step further because this is the minimum level that we can accept under a radical new approach to microeconomics. And that meant that we really from, from scratch established a, a new textbook and, and um, uh, proposed it to one of the most conservative publishing houses in the world, top level, Elsevier slash academic press. And the funny thing there was then that it was, as they formulated early, it was, you know, quote, too innovative for them, quote. So again, they were kind of reluctant, but they they did this, the step towards it um, under the the restriction that they send us 12, 12 reviews. So we had not two reviewers as usual. We didn't have three. We didn't have four. We had 12 reviewers. And the funny thing was that you had the whole spectrum that exists in, in the economic discipline. You had obviously a radical uh, who commented. You had a number of um, a moderate heterodoxes in it. You had a majority of moderate mainstreamers in it. And as far as I remember, you had a hardcore uh, a neoclassicist in it. So it took us a year. And after receiving 12 reviews on that, we developed it. We submitted a revised version. And the, the then exciting thing was that 11 out of the 12 converged considerably. We had quotes, I would, you know, put it in a frame and, and hang it above my, my, uh, my office desk. Um, one guy said, yes, this is the textbook of the future. Uh, most of the others said, yes, we would probably use it in our teaching, uh, either as a main source or as a secondary complementary book, except the 12th, the hardcore neoclassicists kept saying, no, I would never, never, ever use it. Um, but it was enough uh, that after, you know, a, a two-staged um, process here, uh, Elsevier was encouraged enough to say, yes, we do that. This is very so, interesting. Sorry, please, Thorsten. Since you mentioned the Edward Elgar textbook, <clears throat> there the main restriction was that we, as you said, were, were restricted to a pretty short form of 250, yeah, pages. 250 pages. And it's, it's simply not possible even if you leave out the most introductory stuff to develop complexity economics on 250 pages, um, which is why we then focus just on um, getting across the message that interactions matter and to develop a couple of methods in that direction, so game theory and um, agent-based modeling, and highlight the differences to general equi equilibrium theory, and that is basically what filled the 250 pages. <clears throat> However, we wanted actually a textbook that would go much further and that doesn't just um, get across the message that interactions matter, but, yes. but actually <clears throat> um, that the eco economy is an evolving complex system and that you need an, a, an entirely different and integrated set of methods. 
that includes game theory, that, that includes agent-based modeling, but that includes um, also um, a whole lot of other things. May I go back to, to sure. the, your viewers? This was very interesting. Um, so for our readers, our listeners, which are not experts necessarily, Uh, the divide between orthodox and heterodox is not then mathematics, because here there is a lot of mathematics. Uh, can we say that complexity is the divide, or what is then? Um, well, the mainstream largely is a schizophrenic uh, phenomenon. You know, economics is a, is a unique discipline in the sense that it is a discipline that is, that is very fundamentally contested. Uh, that leads uh, to a situation where uh, the, the more uh, um, qu qualified and more demanding uh, mainstreamers in their research are going over to complexity issues. And my thesis in recent years is in my, my papers and, and, and articles is that we quite nicely converge in many, in many questions uh, with the methods anyway. Um, what the other side of the schizophrenia of the mainstream is, Torsten has mentioned it already, is that they very suddenly, when it comes to teaching or when it comes to public utterings, public advice, to policy advice, etc., or to funded uh, papers, funded research, where they have to pre present someone, uh, a, a money giver, uh, some results, And they suddenly put another head on and they are in praise of the perfect market and that, you know, policies should continue to, uh, to deregulate and, and rely on the market. So that is their schizophrenia problem. Uh, and that was the point where we uh, are uh, stepping in and saying we cannot accept any longer uh, the tragedy of this uh, discipline that they release every year hundred thousands of young people uh, with a simple worldview in their minds. Yeah? You have the, that idiotic uh, um, a conception of a representative agent. Look, the representative agent is, is, is one that, that applies a math that was invented in early 19th century, the Lagrange algorithm or mid-19th century. Um, And then you have one. If you have one, then you know them all and you just add up a sum. So what you do is, you is, they do is, they assume away anything, everything that is relevant outside there. That is the interactions and the processes and the dynamics. And so that means um, students and economics are released into a complex world without any knowledge of strategy of uh, a sense of dynamics, of a sense of time requirements, of learning, uh, of habituations, etc., etc., of searching, experimenting, and all that which makes reality uh, important and relevant and makes our textbook uh, uh, relevant and topical, uh, but makes the, uh, the lack of which makes the traditional textbook uh, a very, very boring and uh, schizophrenic. If you look at the classical textbook, you see the standard model, supply, demand, static, you know, crossing a predetermined equilibrium, partial market notably. Uh, and then they say, yeah, that applies over, over an infinite number of partial markets. And then we have a general equilibrium and, and the, the market economy is the best uh, we, we know. And that is the end of the human history. Okay. That is so dissatisfying. 
And I think of the students to release after their studies into the real world. They need to know about uh, all these things. They cannot be released into a complex uh, reality with a simple worldview in mind. So, um, since you mentioned the representative agent, a simple example mm-hmm. of what you cannot observe in terms of a re- representative agent, for instance, is that under normal economic conditions, the representative agent will simply not go bankrupt. So, on average, you will you will make money with what, whatever um, business transaction you do. But in fact, not everybody is average, and you do see people go bankrupt. And if you consider the network structure, something that we would perhaps include in more detail in a um, second edition of the book, if we get one at some point, then you could also consider systemic risk. So actually, um, a few agents going bankrupt can have a huge effect on, on the network. And this is something, uh, and then on the entire economy, and this is something that you will never see by just observing an, a representative agent. That leads us to another important point, uh, that is the, the new kind and quality uh, and intensity of interdisciplinarity. Uh, the mainstream, uh, with its more simple and simplistic approach, uh, is largely uh, incapable of, uh, of uh, being... Uh, Of, of, of communicating with, say, modern uh, biology, modern physics, uh, which are all systemic sciences, evolutionary sciences, complex sciences, uh, system network sciences, and all that. This is what this textbook um, provides. It gives the average student uh, the chance to catch up with what. Uh, in most other sciences nowadays, is the status, uh, and that is complexity. I refer to a, to a nice thing that, that Mark Buchanan, a physicist and economist, um, after, the, after the financial crisis uh, wrote in the, in the New York Times, he said, there's one discipline in the world that is non-modern, and that is economics. He meant mainstream economics, because it is not complex. Yeah? That is a simple thing, and we, we, it didn't um, uh, let us sleep we, until we brought it out, this book. Another very interesting quotation. Uh, let me ask you, uh, let's do some counterfactual history. We mentioned already two, three times the crisis. What if uh, at the end of the central banks uh, in Europe and North America, what if uh, the head of the IMF, uh, the CEO of uh, Lehman Brothers, What, are, what if those people had your textbook when they started economics? Uh, would, they, would, would they have been yeah. doing something different before yes, and during the crisis? Of course, of course. Um, so <clears throat> the, the, the textbook is still kind of limited. So the textbook starts on an inter- introductory level. The textbook goes on, on, on to an intermediate, perhaps advanced level. The textbook is not, not enough. Um, there cannot be any illusion about that. The textbook is not enough to redesign central bank policy. But the textbook would be enough to give the people the idea that the set of methods they should be considering is pretty different from what they have been doing at the time, which was DSGE models. So DSGE models are also not that much part of the textbook because they are basically neoclassical macroeconomics. The textbook focuses on microeconomics 
But nevertheless, <clears throat> um, the the set of methods and the choice of methods would be very similar actually there. So um, and in recent years, this is also something you can observe on um, agent-based modeling conferences. So agent-based modeling is one of the methods that that we advocate in instead of uh, general equilibrium theory. Um, in agent-based modeling conferences in recent years, you can see more and more central bankers coming in, getting interested in that, using that. Um, Perhaps not so much yet in uh, very advanced agent-based models, but in pretty static agent-based models that do, that do stress testing for banks, just considering the network and considering what happens if one bank goes bankrupt, what effects does that have on the system, which is a very good use for agent-based modeling, but you can do much more on that. And I think there's, there's huge potential, and I'm kind of hopeful that um, central banks are also... Yeah. Starting, starting yeah. After after 2008, you see the the big uh, uh, financial sector uh, uh, agents uh, hiring other kind of economists. Huh? The classical, uh, the the, the, class, the traditional neoclassical uh, economist has no chance at Wall Street nowadays. They have hired physicists, complexity physicists. They hired, if at all, economists. They hire complexity economists. So. Uh, a step further, your question, uh, if I imagine the average IMF stuff or a central bank stuff or even top level uh, managers, uh, what they would find with this textbook is a kind of, if they were serious with themselves, they would find a kind of relief, a relief from the schizophrenia, huh? Um, and they would find a, a relief through more consistency. Look, here is something that explains from scratch what we, in fact, are experiencing outside there, namely complexity. And we do not have to make the spaghetti all the time and to bridge over artificially all the time uh, the first 150 pages of an average textbook, that simplistic stuff. And then say, you know, as the, as the usual textbook in the later chapters, yeah, but there is this and that on, and that on top in reality, which is kind, well, kind of contradiction, kind of, um, variation, kind of, uh, exemptions and all that. Huh? So this is the schizophrenia as reflected in the traditional textbook. And we would offend openly, overtly, uh, uh, advertise and recommend this textbook as something that makes policies in the real world, like central bank policies, also fiscal policies and government policies, but also, say, IMF policies, more serious, consistent, qualified as well as, of course, what, what I did, uh, the 10 years outside academia and later on with research too, uh, advising real-world agents like entrepreneurs. So, so uh, yeah, we are offering something here. And we simply refused, and that was our starting point, we simply refused to say, okay, we, we do that usual compromise, we teach the wrong stuff because it needs to be taught. Um, very many friends of us have to do that in their, in their universities. I was lucky enough that since the late 90s, my department stood behind me as an evolutionary economist. And they said, and it was a majority of business studies people, 
and said, well, we like that real-world approach that, that you develop here uh, and, and go on teaching and go on hiring your colleagues of that same kind. So in Bremen, we have more or less only evolutionary economists uh, as professors now. I would like to ask you about uh, the micro or macro approach uh, to economics. So, uh, I mean, uh, the divide between mainstream and, and heterodox. Uh, what type of book, what type of textbooks for macro teaching would we need? Is, is it a, evolution, a very innovative textbook like yours at micro level needed also at macro level? Well, you have a number of, 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 uh, of um, should we call it heterodox textbooks. Um, we, we touched that point uh, earlier already, and I come to the macro question uh, in a second. Um, look, what we do in, the, uh, in our preface is we uh, mention all the other heterodox uh, textbooks, and we mention also the, uh, the, the leading two, three uh, mainstream textbooks in order just to say, look, we are different here and uh, in more detail how we are different from Neva Goodwin, for instance, the microeconomics in context or so. But also saying that, for instance, Samuel Bolt's uh, uh, textbook 2004 at Sage, which is not really a textbook, uh, but a kind of, comes very close to us. Uh, Bolt's and Duncan Foley at the New School in New York have something out, Um, in the context of the Santa Fe Institute, and it's online, and they use it for their teaching. I spoke with Duncan Foley, and I said, he said, well, go ahead with yours, because I wanted to warn him uh, and say, hey, we are coming out with a textbook, and you have one already. And he said, no, no, we have time. We want to, you know, just teach. And it turned out we are somewhat higher than his, Bolz's and, and Foley's textbook. They want to be uh, um, in a, at a lower level. Um, so um, we mention uh, nearly a dozen of other nice textbooks and say how far we are different. And usually, although we are not obviously radical or something like that, not at all, huh? uh, we are not radicals, but you have radicals uh, writing textbooks, of course. We are, I think, with this textbook, deviating from the standard much more radically than any others. And um, you have the same, nearly the same situation uh, in macro, uh, some, somewhat less, lesser, to a lesser extent, a fewer, fewer macro textbooks. You have perhaps three, four heterodox macro textbooks. Among them, uh, Neva Goodwin and, and her team at Tufts University, four or five uh, authors in total, uh, with a macroeconomics in context. Um, we would not delve into this into this thing because um, what we do in our textbook is that we say, look, aggregation is something that is nonlinear, that is something that has to do with nonlinear uh, interactions and something emerges. Um, and that's what emerges on a systemic level as structures, as distributions, persistent distributions in, in network structures, etc., Um, you may call macro. Often the macro term here is wrong, so we don't have a chapter on macro, but we have uh, many sections on the ways of aggregation and on emergence. Huh? So uh, what emerges here on the systemic level is something that you could call macro, but the macro term is 
somewhat used in history for a different, the national level or something like that. While we come up to a kind of aggregation to say, look, at what size level uh, do uh, institutions and does culture, institutional arrangements um, uh, emerge uh, in reality? And that is not the usual formal national level. Uh, what emerges is more smaller, is something that is more local, is more applied to clusters, networks, uh, also in a technical sense in clustered network topologies. You have clusters uh, uh, that are interconnected with each other. Here are the reasons uh, why in reality you have small world networks with clusters. Um, uh, the reason for that is that uh, some evolutionary processes of, of emergence lead to those what we call mesoeconomic uh, dimensions where relatively effectively you have uh, emergence of coordination and cooperation forms. Let me emphasize the point that you just made again. Um, the very strict distinction between micro and macro is something that's pretty dangerous. So it's, it's nice if you have some um, equations that are empirically uh, uh, well, valuable that you can use to predict the macro level. That's, that's great. But nevertheless, um, they may still be the wrong equations. And they may just fail under um, different circumstances, which basically means if you want realistic macroeconomics, you need to be able to show how the micro level is supposed to add up to the macro macroeconomics that you have. And we do have some approaches there. Um, we just talked about central banking. We just talked about agent-based modeling in central banking, which is, I think, a very um, uh, important part of that. But so there, 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 there's also uh, an entire branch on, of macroeconomics that is talking about stock flow consistent macro models um, and, uh, well, macro-level agent-based models. They are more difficult to design than micro-level agent-based models, but I think this is the, the direction in which macroeconomics has to go. Yeah, we're talking about uh, uh, something that is a major issue in what I call a heterodox convergence nowadays, where you have radicals and post-Keynesians and feminist social economists, uh, economists uh, institutionalists, evolutionary, evolutionists, converging on some themes. And these themes are micro-foundations of macro and macro-foundations of micro, of course. You know, the so-called reconstitutive uh, a downward causation, an old issue, I mean, that was with the wording of, of Jeff Hodgson, but it's an old uh, issue in, in, in heterodoxies in the history of economic thought. Um, so this is our offer to... Um, to a, uh, an ongoing heterodox, broad heterodox discussion. Um, look, we are very much self-conscious in, in the sense, because this is the core of our, of our textbook, in the micro-foundations of macro. Although we do not go into macro directly, here are the micro-foundations. And the point is, how could the mainstream ever uh, convincingly claim that it provides a, a sound micro foundation with the with the you know with the representative agent. 
what is that? What kind of micro foundation is that? So this is what we what we what we do and what we say and what we provide. Here is a micro foundation that is sound and reliable. And uh, if you get into emerged institutions and find some persistent structures, uh, then you can say, okay, an institution gets its life independent of an individual. The individual can die off or emigrate, you know, but the institution emerged, once emerged, still is here. So it shapes our behavior and it shapes the behavior of incoming new agents, newborn or new immigrated agents. So this is what we... Uh, mean with the downward causation and the, the macro foundations of micro. This is what we offer, and here are the connections to any other macro uh, textbook, which is, in my view, still to be written uh, according to our book. Well, this was a great conversation, almost mm -hmm. a lecture of economics, uh, and we discussed about a very, very interesting new textbook. May I end this meeting today with asking you what about your new project, your next books? Yeah, your next books. Um, well, perhaps we should start by saying that um, we, d we don't have a second edition of that book planned, planned immediately, but um, it would be possible and we, we, we would have ideas of what to change in the second uh, edition and what to take in. So, for instance, we do include net network theory a little bit in the first edition, but not nearly to the extent that would that would be required to have will be an extra chapter in the next edition. Okay, so this was uh, your project, Thorsten. What about Wolfram? Yeah, well, I put, uh, I picked one of the chapters out, and that is a policy uh, a chapter. After 2007-8, um, uh, complexity economics uh, went indeed into, into policies, and we need to prove the pudding uh, by... Uh, uh, mingling into policies and and tell uh, the scientific community as well as politicians that we have something to say on, on real-world policy. And this, this is what I do. We have a chapter, uh, the, 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 the last but one chapter on policy implications of all that. Um, that was, in my view, not very well developed yet. Uh, so what I do in the last three years, and this is what I do for the next few years, is uh, writing papers and articles on the policy implications of uh, economic complexity. Two things. First, why is econo uh, complexity economics heterodox? Uh, I mentioned that in the interview already. Um, and second, um, what could we really recommend to practicing politicians? Thank you very much indeed. Great book, The Microeconomics of Complex Economies. Thank you very much, Wolfram and Thorsten. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you.